1: Right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate how everything, simply everything you can possibly think of, has a history. Like cabbage... Wire and Sky. Ooh, cabbages.
0: I love the idea of doing something on cabbages. Uh, Or we could do red, white and blue, yes, no or maybe, which is a slight (laughs) variation on my theme in that I didn't have time to think of any rhymes. But what I think we should be doing, Sam, since what is going on in number 10 Downing Street at the moment, I think we should be doing the History of Truth. I think we should yes, do tr- or idiots. Truth <laughs> that would be another one. Truth <laughs> is good, and corpses. I think that, yes, those okay, should we, be we, our next ones. Truth and corpses. But of course, this is to monstrously digress as ever, because what we will be doing is following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of bees? is in fact all about medieval beekeeping, beeswax candles and changes in medieval religious practices. It's also about the superstitious practice of telling the bees, whereby individuals inform the bees of births and deaths in the family in order to prevent bad luck. In other words, it stopped your bees from dying, allegedly. It's also all about the usefulness of bees in medieval muscovy. Who knew that, Sam Willis? Did you know that? Of course you did, because it's know. one of our recent episodes. <laughs> or who knew that the history of divorce is in fact all about Henry VIII, the King's Great Matter and the separation from Rome. And that was one of our reprised series
1: in homeschooling. Absolutely. All very enjoyable indeed. Uh, let me tell you who is who is my fellow presenter. It's as simple as that. Well, if history were a nice juicy vein pumping mm-hmm. blood around the present filling it with energy and vim. This man would be, well, not just any old insect, but a blood-sucking parasite of the finest order, the chief agent for transmitting knowledge of the past to the present, resulting, no, not in the deaths of millions around the world, but in their education, amusement and entertainment. He is the great historical flea of the present. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He's James Daybell. Hello, James.
0: Hello, Sam. Even the mention of that is making me want to scratch really, which yeah. reminds me of our history of the itch, which I think had yep. some sort of flea, mm-hmm. flea-like flea stuff in it. But you may well be wondering, who is that unattributed but very decorous voice? So ably helping Daybell co-pilot this very episode. Well, let's just say that if he were a flea, related historian a very a tenuous link here but uh, if he were a flea related historian he'd only be the historical equivalent of the great poet and theologian john Donne, he who penned the poem the flea a man whose work was highly thought of at the time as it circulated in manuscript during his lifetime and who grew in fame once it appeared in print whose poetic powers render so tenderly the most close and personal of feelings and whose influence was felt centuries later in places far far away yes you've guessed it it's the famous historical adventurer himself dr sam willis do you like being compared to john dun
1: very much so he's would we'd be uh, would be top of my list of people i'd like to be compared oh, to oh um, really good indeed um so the flea, James, this was inspired by you. You wanted to do the flea because you saw a flea dressed up or painted or something. Well, I want to start because I've got so obsessed with this new book, Steve Roud's
0: uh, Penguin Guide to Superstition. I wanted to start before I start talking about my trip to Oxford, but I wanted to talk about uh, cuckoos and fleas. And this is all about good luck. So in all, if you're interested in not having fleas in your house... What you need to do in order to prevent this is, when you hear the first cuckoo in spring, take some of the earth from the place on which your right foot is standing and sprinkle it on the threshold of your front door. But speak of it to no one. Neither fleas, beetles, earwigs, or vermin of any sort will cross it. So there we are. There's a little bit of um, little bit of protective advice. For you all connected to fleas. But the reason that we're doing this was because about two years ago, way before lockdown, my family and I travelled to Oxford. I think I had to go. Actually, I think what we had to do was go and record the audio book of our first book histories of the unexpected, Mm -hmm. how everything has a history. So we spent a couple of days in Oxford, and one of the trips that we took were to the Oxford University Museum of Natural History, which is just next door to the Pitt Rivers Museum. It's on Parks Road. Admission is free. Um, And in there, in one of the galleries up the top, is a Victorian curio, which is a flea. It carries a little sort of card. A flea that has been dressed in tiny clothes and a backpack. And there's a very helpful... Um, magnifying glass to help you view it. When I took the photograph of this, all I've got is the card and the picture of the magnifying glass and I can barely make out the flea. All I can see is a sort of Is the other the lights that are reflected in it so I can see the sort of the skylight? Um, But what child would not be interested in this? This sort of it's a tiny microscopic flea that is dressed. And I did a little bit of research about this because I had no idea where this had come from. And apparently, this art of dressing fleas in costumes is, of course, Victorian and it can be traced back to 19th century. Mexico and in particular it's connected to the state of um, Guanajuato in central Mexico and it started off it's thought being made in convents by presumably nuns and then it passes to ordinary people and eventually it becomes something that is sold to tourists so dressed fleas Are sold to tourists. And it continued into the 20th century, continues into the 1930s. And most popular, the most popular examples are of couples. So either brides and grooms or wife and farmer sets. And, you know, there are also sort of, you know, whole groups of of mariachi bands complete with their instruments. Um, So. So it's uh, it's a tradition in late nineteenth century uh, Mexico, um, and uh, so that was what got me thinking about fleas that I'd wanted to do, and I did a bit of. Do we of know sp- why it was a tradition in nineteenth century Mexico? Do I know why it was a tradition in nineteenth century yeah. Mexico? Uh, because it would, I suppose, it was um, a form of entertainment. It became something that you could sell and make money out of when you sold it to. People. It's clearly a challenge, isn't it? Because but, of,
1: of the microscopic nature of it,
0: it is. But it's seen as it's seen as a highly, you know, highly difficult art, but also mm. one that is entirely useless. So the <laughs> um, the the the, yeah. the the diplomat and poet Octavio Paz described it as: "If we do not produce." mass-produced products we vie with one another in the difficult exquisite and useless art of dressing fleas but there are there are examples in museums around the world for example in the Carnegie Museum of Natural History in Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania there are three sets of these fleas that they acquired in the 1930s that people donated and they're part of they're seen they're they're part of their sort of ethnographic collections, but also their historical dolls. So I suppose they're a sort of bizarre sort of, you know, miniature doll. But yes, I, I, <laughs> I, just, I just,
1: it is I weird, isn't this. it? Isn't it weird? And um, tiny It's absolutely extraordinary. Aren't um they? and they've got proper little hats, proper little clothes and dresses. Yes. Um they're really remarkably well dressed. I wonder how they get them to stand upright but the so i you can't do this without a significant uh, magnifying device surely so yeah. um to do it you mean you've got to have the money and the resources and the time so it's surely a status thing to and and a skill thing as well so it's not just it's not just anyone can do this you have to have an immense amount of time a kind of an appreciation of the absurd and also um the money to get a Get a magnifying glass and tiny pliers. I should think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of like of writing your name on a grain of rice, and so so. And I imagine (laughs) daybell would be difficult. (laughs) James Richard Tyrrell Daybell would be even more difficult, (laughs) (laughs) which is in fact my full name. Um, But yes, that would be. But I imagine it's not a sort of. I imagine it's not a sort of an elite thing. I imagine once you've got the sort of rudimentary tools. Um, you'd, you you know, ordinary people would have been able to do it, but you've got to think about how small a flea is. It's microscopic, and if you compared it to a, say, a penny, in your pocket, it, you know, it, you're looking really sort of minute. You know, less than a millimeter. Probably. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a picture here where the
1: um the dressed flea is smaller than a the, a match head.
0: Wow! Oh, wow! Basically, that's tiny. Um,
1: yeah, super, super tiny um
0: wonderful stuff james well that's why we're doing um, this and i'm going to go on and talk about flea circuses next
1: after that ah, i know um nice i i i might um john dunn obviously i think we need to deal with john dunn oh yes you, you, were you gonna were you going to, to to regale everyone with the poem the Flea"?
0: i was going to regale everyone with the poem the flea which is br- brilliant i'm big big john dunn fan uh, not least because he's one of those extraordinary poets who, during his lifetime, was appreciated, as I said in your introduction, by a small group of people. he He's a coterie mm. poet, uh, as Arthur Marotti famously said and wrote about in his book, John Donne Coterie Poet. So he circulates in manuscript. So he's appreciated by a very sort of elite group of poetic connoisseurs. And only one, only sort of after he died does his does his poetry get into print and circulate? Then, strangely, in the 18th century, goes out of fashion a bit, and it's not until the beginning of the 19th century that he's really sort of rediscovered. But the the flea, yeah, is
1: an extraordinary, an extraordinary yeah. poem. Would you like me to read it? Having given that little, yeah, well, uh, let me just to just say one. a couple more things about John Donne to give people a bit more context. Um, so, 1572. Uh, was when he was born at some point, we're not entirely sure, died in London in 1631. What an interesting time to live, James. End of the 16th century, beginning of the 17th century. Uh, he ended up being Dean of St Paul's Cathedral, which is no mean feat. Um, but that, of course, was the, the St Paul's before the, the the Christopher Wren one we have now. It's the St Paul's that was burned down. Um his mum, he's come from a well-known family. His mum was direct descendant of Sir Thomas More's sister. So there were, there were connections there to some very powerful people indeed. Um, I was quite interested that he attended both Cambridge and Oxford, which is uh, no mean feat. Uh, but he couldn't take a degree from either university because he was a Roman Catholic. Um, and he was required to uh to um swear an oath of allegiance to queen elizabeth if he was going to get a university degree which he couldn't do because elizabeth was a protestant and i did not know that i thought that was that was fascinating um he also uh wasn't just sitting around writing poetry doing nothing he was involved in a privateering expedition against cadiz in 1596 that was all in the aftermath of the armada in 1588 um he sailed with sir walter raleigh and essex to um the azores um hunting for spanish treasure ships so a man really um kind of in the in the forefront of tudor society much more so james than i thought he was um and i mean he's 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 known as the, the i i think it's probably fair to say the best the best love poet um of anyone writing in english i would say
0: uh, Shakespeare would be, would be a probably. No, I, a think a than, rival. I think better oh, Let's just Let see, think. shall we? Is this is this cue for a rendition of the Flea by John Donne? I,
1: I think you should do it, James. You, your 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 lovely deep voice and measured tones.
0: Okay, okay, no pressure. Mark. So this is John Donne, The Flea. Mark, but this flea, and mark in this, how little that which thou deniest me is. It sucked me first, and now sucks thee, And in this flea are two bloods mingled be, Thou know'st that this cannot be said, A sin, nor shame, nor loss of maidenhead, Yet this enjoys before it woo, And pampered swells with one blood made of two, And this, alas, is more than we would do, O stay three lives in one flea spare, Where we almost, nay, more than married are. This flea is you and I and this Our marriage bed and marriage temple is. Though parents grudge and you we're met, And cloistered in these living walls of jet, Though you's make you apt to kill me, Let not to that self-murder added be, And sacrilege three sins in killing three. Cruel and sudden hast thou since Purpled thy nail in blood of innocence, Wherein could this flea guilty be, Except in that drop which it sucked from thee? Yet thou triumph'st and say'st that thou Find'st not thyself nor me the weaker now, Tis true, then learn how false fears be, Just so much honour when thou yield'st to me, Will waste as this flea's death took life from thee. Oh, that's beautiful, isn't it, Sam?
1: Wonderful stuff, um, and very well read as well. Uh, it's 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 a fantastic a fantastic little poem. It takes uh, several readings to really get your head round it. But in principle, what you're going on here is you've got a flea has bitten a young man, and then has jumped on to uh, the woman that he's trying to seduce, and it's begun to bite her. And the man sees it as an opportunity. Um, for more seduction he points to the flea and he remarks that what it's done is it's mingled their bloods uh, innocently so which he claims is no more than sexual intercourse does which i think is interesting as well because that it also reflects the renaissance belief about um what actually happens during sex but at the same time it's more than than she will uh, allow him um it's a it's very clever. It's um, it's an entertaining example of seduction in the Tudor period. Um, J- James, do you think someone could win your heart with an analogy drawn from a flea? I think they probably my wife could. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I wonder I wonder. Um, I think if we asked a lot, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think if we asked a lot of people that they might say no. Um, <laughs> I think that, they that, might. That actually, I think they
0: might say no. <laughs>
1: They might say no, um, which I think is actually the whole point behind this this wonderful little poem, and and it's not a serious attempt to win someone's heart by using the analogy of a flea because it's a bit gross and it's a bit insecty um, and a bit parasite. But if you see it as a, as a game um, in which no one's taking it seriously, that it's not a kind of a serious attempt at seduction, um, then I think you 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 probably get more to the heart of what this poem is, and perhaps you need to read a a few more other John Donne poems to see how he can um, he can approach this subject seriously Uh, and this is definitely not serious um, but it doesn't mean uh, that it's less important and I think it's because it's not serious that it's such a, a wonderful poem because it's um it's evidence of, of ingenuity and wit as well as seduction in the Tudor world. So James, there you are, the flea as uh, ingenuity and wit in the Oh Tudor
0: world. let me add a little more let me add a little more academic gloss to that as well. I think part of it is so so I think that that image of the sort of mingling of bloods is a very sort of common trope, as you say, for sexual intercourse in the Renaissance period. But I also think there's there's some of Dunn's religion going through there. So, you know we're getting at the sort of the the Christian imagery of the Holy Trinity, the Eucharist, the sacrament of marriage. That's there. I think under the uh, there is an undercurrent of illicit love here, and and the unconventional nature of their relationship that they're that it's it's a clandestine relationship. So there is something quite quite um, dangerous there, and this connects us to more to his own life and I think we've talked about this in the past how uh, and it's certainly something that we do we did in our show when we talked about John Donne not um, basically marrying a woman called Anne more clandestinely in other words without her her parents permission and he writes various sort of grovelling letters and I think in the In the show, I even get down on my knees to represent how he tucked his signature in the bottom right hand corner. But there is a famous letter to um, Sir Thomas Edgerton, Lord Keeper of the Great Seal in February, on February the 12th, 1602, apologising to him um, and asking him to lessen that correction which your just wisdom has destined for me so he's basically writing for an apology and I'll just read you a little extract from that letter to the right honourable it's addressed to the right honourable my very good lord and master Sir Thomas Edgerton knight lord keeper of the great seal of England to excuse my offence or so much to resist the just punishment for it as to move your lordship to withdraw it, I thought till now were to aggravate my fault. But since it hath plead God to join with you in punishing thereof with increasing my sickness, and that he gives me now audience by prayer, that emboldeth me also to address my humble request to your lordship that you would admit into your favourable consideration how far my intentions were from doing dishonour to your lordship's house. And so he goes on and on and on. So I think that's another way of reading it. I also think there's a connection with later poetry. So Dunn becomes, you know, by the um I suppose it's the beginning of the nineteenth century, so by the eighteen hundreds, he's come back into fashion, having been out of fashion. And there's a connection between his poem on the flea and First World War poetry. And it's not, it's not. What's interesting here is that his poetry gets published in an Oxford University Press edition in 1912 by the scholar and critic Herbert Grierson. It's a two volume edition. And you can see echoes of it in a poem by Isaac Rosenberg called Louse Hunting. And what's interesting is. Rosenberg is a is a war poet, he enlists in nineteen sixteen, he leaves for the front, and he takes no clothes or mementos from home with him, but what he does have is a copy of Dunn's poetry. And what's interesting is that this his poem Louse Hunting is indebted to Dunn. Um and I'll just read you it here. Louse hunting by Isaac Rosenberg. Nudes, Stark and Glistening. Yelling in lurid glee, grinning faces and raging limbs Whirl over the floor one fire, for a shirt verminously busy Yon soldier tore from his throat, with oaths Godhead might shrink at Godhead is a play on that maidenhead Godhead might shrink at, but not the lice And soon the shirt was a flare, over the candle he'd lit while we lay And so it goes on Then we all sprang up and stripped to hunt the verminous brood. Soon, like a demon's pantomime, the place was raging. See the silhouettes agape, see the gibbering shadows mixed with the battled arms on the wall. See gargantuan hooked fingers pluck in supreme flesh to smutch supreme littleness. See the merry limbs in hot highland fling, because some wizard vermin charmed from the quiet this revel, when our ears were half lulled by the dark music, blown from sleep's trumpet. That's incredible, poem, Sam Willis. Very beautiful. Goodness me.
1: Um, I found a great. That we talk about you know uh, uh, fleas as, as metaphors for love, but there's there's a great deal of. The history of fear around fleas and and certainly annoyance. I found a lovely little letter here from uh, 1866. Um, Probably no annoyance from purely natural causes is so vexatious as that caused by fleas. Some districts are by them made almost unfit for human habitation. Totally unfitted for human comfort. We have read one of Judge Halliburton's volumes of the Yankee clockmaker, in which Sam Slick stated that a common herb was a specific against their attacks. But through a strange perversity, he neglected to say what it was. We believe it is the common pennyroyal, the oil of this herb, or if that is not readily obtainable, an infusion of the herb in water will banish the pests. We hope some of our readers will give it a stronger test than circumstances have enabled us to do, and let the readers of the Scientific American know the result. So there we are, a letter to the Scientific American in 1866 and it raises this question of um, getting rid of fleas, um, fear of fleas, concern over them them being irritants. Now um, a key part of this is obviously the link between fleas and disease, particularly the plague. Um, and it's well known, this, we've talked about it before uh, when we did our homeschooling on rats, actually. Um, and it's the movement movement of rats and plague. But there are a couple of interesting aspects I wanted to bring up here, which I've not talked about before. One is this, the role of technology and movement in relation to diseases. So... Um, if you think about what goes on in the 1860s, 1880s, you've got the invention of steamships, you've got the invention of railways as well, and so you've got people travelling around the world much more easily, much faster than they ever have before, and that, of course, leads to a huge growth in uh, the transmission of diseases. So yes, you've got the, the, the traditional slur ways of doing it, whether it's by on foot or by cart or whatever it might be in coastal sailing craft, but suddenly with these, um, there's this huge huge change in transport, that it it really does fundamentally alter the speed at which disease is sent around the world. And this is all believed to link to an outbreak of plague in Bombay in 1896. Now, another important point about this also is that the the fleas are often often associated with rats. But actually, it it became known that um, fleas could survive for quite a long time, actually up to 50 days um, on their own. They didn't need to be uh, on a rat, but the rat as a host. And they'd travel in bundles of clothing and blankets, whatever it might be. So what you've actually got here is the... It's the... The, the movement of humans was fundamental to um, the transmission of the plague because of them carrying the fleas with them. It wasn't just about rats, which I think is really interesting. Now, the association with the rats and their fleas is also interesting because um, it, it was it was so thought so clearly that the link between the fleas and the rats means that um, uh, there was a a belief that uh, these diseases broke out in particularly unsanitary conditions. In slums, and that meant that the belief was linked with an element of racism. It was to do with who was living in poorer conditions, what type of housing they were living in, and um, the link there was quite clear. And it meant that the, 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 the belief of how these diseases spread around the world was very much tinged with racism, um, simply because of the link with uh, uh, sanitation and living conditions and um, the belief of.
0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Uh, of fleas only breeding where there were rats. But in fact, it was different to that, and the humans themselves were responsible. So I love that little take on it, James.
0: Oh, ho, ho, ho. excellent, Sam. Now I want to take us to flea circuses. Have you ever heard of flea circuses? Yes, I have, absolutely. I'd
1: I, I struggle to actually tell you what it was, though.
0: Oh, well, flea circuses, well, modern day flea circuses are indeed a sham, Sam Willis. They are, they're electronic, they're mechanical and they're pretending to be, you know, little fleas performing when in fact they're they're sort of mechanised things and in fact what makes them so exciting is in fact the people who are the front man for it but if you go back in time go back to the Victorian period although you can trace it back slightly earlier to the late 16th century but the Victorian period um, you see the emergence of flea circuses which as you can imagine are actual circus sideshows where people had trained fleas to pull Carts to perform various sort of, uh, various feats, um, miniature cannons, all of it, walking tightropes, um, playing, in, would you believe, playing in orchestras. And this all starts with a man called Louis Bertolotto, who is thought to be the first person to start this. He's an Italian impresario, and he advertised his... And I quote, extraordinary exhibition of industrious fleas, which was on Regent Street in London. And this was the first one of the first shows to show performing, performing fleas. Um, And we, in fact, have one of the uh, flyers from it, from a a slightly later one. But um, and it is said to be patronised by Her Royal Highness Princess Augusta by the nobility and gentry, it's the reopening of the extraordinary exhibition of industrious fleas, performing most astonishing feats, the whole different from last season, at number two three eight Regent Street, opposite Hanover Street. I Bertolotto, sensible of the distinguished patronage which uh, have tended his efforts last season and desirous, if possible, to increase it in the presence by the exhibition of such objects, blah, 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 blah. And then he advertises the following programme, which includes the Siege of Antwerp, representing the fort besieged and defended by fleas. (laughs) Um, a ballroom in which two fleas are dressed as ladies and two gentlemen dancing a waltz. A royal mail coach drawn by four fleas completely harnessed. The coachman and the guard also fleas. Uh, the former holding the reins and whip in hand. Belabouring his floor. Um, I can't quite make that. Uh, chestnuts. Chestnuts. Um, <laughs> Chest, yeah, there's four chestnuts the-, the latter flourishing his horn of office and then last but not least is an elephant uh, richly decorated with oriental splendour carrying a tower filled with warriors the whole drawn by a single flea and it's open from ten till dusk admittance one shilling evening parties attended the history of the flea by LB to be had at the exhibition room so absolutely extraordinary now what you might be thinking is how on earth does this work uh, and they really did train fleas and as you can imagine fleas what do fleas do they they jump they walk um you know they they actually move they can jump quite large distances but they only live for a you know a short while. I mean, they're thought to live only for a couple of months, and once they sort of gathered the fleas, they would then you know sort them out to see who could who could jump, who could walk, all that kind of thing, and then this is a bit like our our sort of miniature dressed fleas earlier on. They would actually harness them and put a thin gold wire around them. And then they would, unfortunately, they would stay in these for the duration of their life. But what that meant was that once you'd harness them with this wire, you could then attach them to things. And fleas have extraordinarily strong legs, so when they hop, they will, of course, be able to move things. So they can they can pull along a, a little mini coach. They can they can kick a, a lightweight ball. Um, they can. You know, they can do all sorts of things in sort of pulling carts and vehicles and all of those kinds of things. Um, The musical instruments is really interesting because they were supposed to have had these musical instruments glued to them. And then what you do is you put them in an enclosed space and then you heat it up. And of course, what do fleas do when you heat something up? They try and escape. And what that does is it then it makes them sort of move up and down. Um, and they look as if they are playing musical instruments. One of the most extraordinary things I came across was a collection of paraphernalia connected to flea circuses um, that was f- sold for two thousand two hundred and sixty-eight U.S. dollars by Sotheby's in the United States, and it was a collection of handbills and a, a, a ticket of ad, of admittance. Um, to all of these, um, dating from 1764, uh, 1833, 1833, 1852. And there's a a German playbill for Signor Bertolotto's Flea Circus, which has a, a really sort of lovely rhyme uh, at the bottom of it. Legs I have and never walk. Uh, bite back all and never talk. <laughs> it says, but there are if you have a look, there are there's all sorts of uh, of posters that survive for these circuses, flea circuses throughout the ages. and I've got a couple here, Professor Liconti's wonderful Romanian flea circus must be seen to be believed patronized by royalty, nobility, and clergy. Come and see the lively fleas, dance a ballet, fight a duel with swords, walk the tightrope a blondin, harnessed like horses and drawing and driving, handsome cabs, mail vans, funeral cars, cabriolets, milk cars, artillery, fleas firing a carillon, the smallest performers in the world, interesting alike to young and old, rich and poor. And one final one, um is Professor Frick's original Imperial Flea Circus, the only show of its kind in the world. Don't be sceptical, seeing is believing, don't fail to visit Professor William Frick's Flea Circus. 300 performing fleas, yes, 300 alive and living, not mechanical and then he's very careful to point out, using only the genuine European human fleas in various performances. Drawing carriages, juggling a ball, operating a merry-go-round, presenting large pantomime ballet in ladies' costume, operating a mill, fighting a jewel, operating a swing, walking a tightrope, jumping through a hoop, and other realistic feats an exhibition showing what 41 years of most tedious work has accomplished. Every act visible to the naked eye, every flea has its own name. There is no dancer of any desertion in our flea family with the carnival. So there we are, Sam, the history of flea circuses. Fell out of fashion uh, in the 1930s. Would you believe? Wonderful stuff. But you can find people uh, still probably touring today with flea circuses.
1: Hmm. I know. Guys, I hope you have very much enjoyed our history of the flea. I have hugely enjoyed it and constantly surprised by the stuff that James discovers. <laughs> and that <laughs> I also discover in my own research. Wonderful things indeed. Um, we've got some great things coming your way, have we not? Um, we certainly have. We're going to do Truth and Corpses. Yeah, Maybe. and if you're interested in what's happening with, uh, with number 10, we have done the history of the party. We did that ages ago, and it's an absolutely cracking episode, so do please check that out. Um, otherwise, keep in touch. Follow me on social media. I'm at Dr. Sam Willis. Um, and if you're interested in maritime and naval history, the history of the sea, do please listen to the Mariner's Mirror podcast.
0: It is. It's Salty History. Very, very good. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at James Daybell. The podcast is at Unexpected Pod. We are also on Instagram and on Facebook, so come and make friends with us there. You can see our entire back catalogue on our all singing all dancing website historiesoftheunexpected.com you can also buy signed copies of our books there and should you wish to be a patron and donate to this worthy cause of helping us change the way in which people think about the past simply head over to patreon.com where we have a little page histories of the unexpected waiting for you anything you can do Very much appreciated. But meanwhile, be well and see you soon. Bye, guys. See you, guys. Bye bye.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.